Well, again, happy Father's Day, and we'll get a, a chance to hear from our kids. They'll be singing again at the end of, end of my uh, sermon, so uh, just wait for a little bit, then you'll get something better in a few minutes. Uh, we'll get to, get to hear, hear from them uh, again. As I think about the passage that we'll be looking at, we're doing a series on First uh, John, and we're kind of slowly going through uh, the book of First John. As I think about First John chapter 2, I couldn't help but think of a, a, a very relevant movie from 1997, Liar Liar. Uh, it's a, a movie that you might be familiar with the plot. Jim Carrey is a lawyer who's famous for lying, and he has to tell the truth and tell what he's actually thinking uh, throughout uh, the day. And sometimes I wish that life worked like that, that you could just like give truth serum to someone and they had to like actually tell you what was going on. Have you ever had a conversation that's really not about what you guys are talking about, and you're like, I really wish you would get around uh, to the point. And it seems like with uh, technology today, we're getting worse and worse about having conflict conversations. We don't really want to have the conversation, so we don't really want to talk about what's actually uh, going on, and we wish that we could just say, what is the point? What are you doing? Why are you having this conversation? What is going on here? And I think in First John chapter 2, as we think about this church community, it's likely a group of maybe like 15 to 20 people, a house church, which maybe had the gospel of John, and John is writing to this group of people and, and says, like, this is who you are in Christ. And he's covered some really big topics in First John chapter 1 and then beginning of First John chapter 2. And then I feel like he comes really close here and just says, all right, all right, I'm writing all this stuff, and there's these big concepts, but Like, listen in. This is what this means for you. This is the reason why I'm writing you this letter. And so he says in 1 John chapter 2, verses 12 through 14, I am writing you, dear children, and this is like a good essay that you learned how to write in eighth grade. This is why I'm writing this, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I'm writing you, fathers, because you know him who's from the beginning. I'm writing to you because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, dear children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who's from the beginning. I write to you because you are strong, and the word of God lives in you, and you have overcome the evil one. So John, as he writes to this struggling Christian community, he peels back and says, this is why I'm writing this to you. This is why I've spent all this time writing this letter. This is why I'm writing you. And just as you, perhaps, if you were to put your name in there and you were to think of it, and the word fathers that's in there, it's, it's a way of like blessing an entire family. It was a patriarchal society. So it's, if you're blessing the father, you're blessing uh, everybody. And so he's saying to this group, Your sins have been forgiven. You know him who's from the beginning. You have overcome the evil one. And this is a really small group of people, and I know that it's easy for us to feel like we're insignificant, that we're not all that powerful. But if we would just grasp hold of this, it's amazing what we we might accomplish. It's amazing what God might do through us. And I know that you don't feel all that powerful, but trust me, you are way more powerful than the group of people that John was writing to. It's likely a mix of some slaves in there. You might have some wealthy people, but it's likely people who don't have all that much. And he says to this group, your sins have been forgiven. The word forgiven literally means that your sins have been sent away from you. The things that sometimes you struggle with defining you, those things don't define you anymore. And you know the Father, the one who is from the very beginning. And this is a word that means like intimate knowledge, that you have intimate knowledge of God. You have overcome the evil one. 
The word that is used there is a word that we wear on our shoes, Nike. You have conquered. You have won. And for the person that would have read this letter to this congregation, it likely would have been a a letter carrier, maybe a member, a distinguished member of their church. They would have been like, me? What are you talking about? This is who we are, John says, in Christ. This is what it means that Christ has come for us. And he begins the letter in 1 John 1, and then again in the beginning of chapter 2 with these very big ideas, darkness and light and all this big stuff. But he says, don't miss it on account of the bigness of this. This also has implications for you. You who's like sleeping through this letter as it's being read, wake up because it has implications for you. It has implications for who you are. It's big, but it's also small. It has implications for everybody. Have you ever been part of a class where the teacher just made something come alive that was previously really boring to you? This is what John, I think, is trying to say. Like, this is why this matters. This has major implications for us. I had a history teacher uh, who still is in the, the Burbank district, I believe, who was named Miss Hacker back in the day. Uh, I think she's gotten married, so she's not that anymore. But uh, when I had her, she was able to make U.S. history come alive. As an 11th grader, I just was, this was amazing. Partly maybe because you got put into groups, and I was in a group with three girls, so that probably helped a little bit. But suddenly I was super interested in, in U.S. history. And um, She was just somebody who, like, obviously, like, it meant so much to her, and so she was really passionate about how she communicated it to us. And it's hard to make teenagers care that much about history because they're worried about them in the moment and whatever is happening right then and right there. But she was able to just say it in such a way that got us all listening and passionate about it and said, whoa, this really does have implications for us. Really, history always does. But especially as she taught it, it was just so amazing to hear. Have you ever had a teacher like that? Maybe it was chemistry, and you hated chemistry up to that point, but all of a sudden, like, chemistry was the way that you saw the world. Like, it was just amazing to see somebody who is so passionate about a certain topic that they can change your perspective of that thing, that you previously thought it was boring and uninteresting and not all that relevant to you, and the way that they talk about it, it's like, whoa, this is speaking to my soul. Many of us likely have had teachers or people who have just changed our lives. When I was in school... Uh, for ministry, we had a few different preaching classes, and those were the worst because it was generally you would preach um, in, in a chapel that could seat 500 people, and there'd be about 10 people sitting there, and they all thought they were a better preacher than you. And so you were up there preaching your, your heart out and just wondering, is this good or is this bad? I don't really know. And one of the professors uh, wrote some a review of my sermon. He wrote some good stuff, and he wrote some bad stuff, too, I needed to work on. But he wrote on the bottom of it, Brian, I hope you keep at this, because I believe in you. And I imagine that almost whatever field you're in, you had somebody tell you that, either in words or actions, like, you're not fully there yet, but I believe in you. Someone probably came alongside you, and maybe this teacher wrote it up to everybody, but I was like, it was really moving to me that he just said, you know, I believe in you. This is like what John is saying. He's so passionate about this, and he's communicating to this group of people, and and he says, I know that it's hard for you to believe this. You're you're a struggling group of, of people, and it's hard for you to understand exactly what this means, but I believe in you, not because of your own strengths and your own talents, but because of who your God is. This is very much like the 
beginning of Scripture is God is introduced to Moses. And Moses basically says, if someone asks me what your name is, what am I supposed to say? Is your name like Tom or how am I supposed to introduce you? And God gives such a brilliant concept. God is communicated as a verb. I am. Which is just such a brilliant thing. And something, if we could wrap our minds just around that, we'd probably be good. That God isn't just this pronoun that like you hang some word on. It's God is introduced as a verb. I am has sent me to you. That's how you're supposed to introduce me. And this conversation goes back and forth, and Moses comes up with all of these reasons about why, like, someone else should be called, including I'm a terrible public speaker. I had a preaching class, and nobody liked me, right? I'm a terrible public speaker. But over and over again in that conversation, God says, I get it. You have your weaknesses, and you have your problems, but I will be with you. And as you look through that conversation, God is the one who's acting through the entire thing. I will be with you. I am sending you out over and over and over again. God is saying, I I get it, Moses. You're focused on your own insufficiencies and the things that you aren't, but just trust in who I am. And yes, it's not about who you are moving forward, but trust in who I am. And this is the same way that John writes to this struggling Christian community. I know you don't have it all together, but you have no idea who you are in God's eyes. I know that you're broken. I know that you have issues. I know that you struggle, but you have no idea who you are. This is hard for us to believe, if we're honest, because we can talk about it on a Sunday morning, but then Monday comes, and it's a grind, and you have a cold, or you get a canker sore, and the world just falls apart. It's easy to think of whatever battle that we're in that we're, we're losing it. But John communicates to this group of people, Your sins have been forgiven in Christ. You have overcome the evil one. You know God. This is difficult for us to grasp and understand. And I know there are things that we all are struggling with from time to time. Maybe you have some health concerns or financial concerns. You've been looking for a job for a while, and things just don't seem to be working out for you. And it's hard for you to realize exactly what this means. But the good news is the disruptive announcement of who you are in Christ. The good news of God, the gospel, is what is true about you in Christ, even when you struggle to believe that it's true. The gospel, the word that is used to describe Jesus' life and ministry, it literally just means good news. Have you ever received good news? Especially when you've been through a season where you feel parched, when you feel like you can't take another step, when you feel like things are just overcoming you, and maybe it's in one area of life and you're really struggling, but then you receive good news that you're getting a bonus from work or something, or something comes through and it's just out of left field. And even though that news is still bad over here, suddenly you're like, I can face another day because I got a bonus or whatever it is, right? You receive good news about someone in your life that you really care about. You receive good news about whatever it is. And this is what primarily the gospel is supposed to be understood as. That it is good news. That it is like water to someone who feels parched. It's words that 
changed us at once and still change us today. And when we think about feeling weak, when we're struggling, when we feel like we don't have it all together, John is trying to pull us in close and say, I know that sometimes you feel like you're on the end of your rope. But that's probably when you need the good news of the gospel more than ever. Our whole faith and the Christian religion is based on the worst thing in human history becoming the best thing that ever happened, right? That an innocent person died for everybody. That the Messiah, the true Messiah of the world was killed by people. Our religion is based on the worst thing in human history becoming the best thing in human history. And we need to understand that and embody that. And in those moments when you feel like you're at your last breath, when you feel like the the group of people that would have huddled around these words and heard them for the first time, John once again reminds them like we need the reminding of who we are in Christ. And so we gather together on Sundays and we sing songs together where we try to remind ourselves of who our God is and then what that means for us. And we take communion week after week to remind us of the fact that we have a new definition, that we aren't the same that we always were. Sometimes as we sing even simple songs, our kids just sung a very simple song. They're going to sing it for us again in just a minute because the old people, they need to hear it, right? We need to hear just the simple truths of God that our sins have been forgiven, that they no longer define us, that the stone was rolled away and that the tomb is empty. I praise God for that, right? And if we could just get that, we'd be doing all right. And if we could just, you know, get that and and live from that for even three days next week, you'll be doing a whole lot better. Hopefully it's all the days, but even if you did it for three days. And what would it look like for you to live from this place? Because John is saying, I know I'm writing about these big concepts, but listen up. And he changes it up. It's different. And this part of your Bible, it's likely like separated and indented in a different way because it's written almost like poetry. And John is saying to this group of people, like you have no idea that this means big things for the world, but listen close. It means something huge for you. There's implications for all of us in this, if we would just understand who we are in Christ. And there's going to be a battle in your life. It's hard for you to believe this. But you have no idea how God sees you. And this is something that I think we struggle with if we're honest all the time, trying to understand our true identity in Christ. I think it's shown in, in a movie that was released over 10 years ago called uh, Blood Diamond. It's a movie that it features Leonardo DiCaprio, and I celebrate his whole catalog, so I'm always into um, that one. I, it's, it's, it, is, it is a good movie, but it tells many stories. One of the parts of it is there's a young boy who's taken hostage, and he's turned into a child soldier. And he's taught to be violent. He's taught to hunt for people. He's taught to kill. And eventually, he runs into his father again. And this is what happens. Keep digging, huh? They'll be here any second. Come on. Keep digging.
Could it very be there, huh? Yes, yes. Yeah. You got it. Have you got it, huh? Yes, got it. Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, yes. Solomon. What are you doing? The Lord Yavanti of the Prow Mende tribe. You are a good boy who loves soccer and school. Your mother loves you so much. She waits by the fire making plantains and red palm oil stew with your sister yonder. And did you, baby? The cows wait for you. And Babu, the wild dog who wants no one but you. Hmm? I know they made you do bad things, but you're not a bad boy. I am your father, who loves you. And you will come home with me and be my son again. <laughs> 